Greetings, programs, and welcome back to the Awesome Friday Podcast. My name is Matthew, and I'm your host. And joining me today is Simon, which is uh, the usual way of doing things. It's just, I don't know why we don't just say that every time. Uh, I, keep, I keep trying to be clever, and it keeps not working. When I keep, you know, it's like the definition of insanity. I keep doing the same thing and expecting a different result. The perpetual special guest. Yes, uh, hello, I'm here again. Nice to see you all, or hear you all, or have you been. you are. Glad to be in front of all of your earballs. Yes. Um, how are you today? How are things going? How's your week in Good. media consumption been? My week in capital C content. Um, we actually went out, we met in real life and went and watched a movie together. We did. Holy shit. Just like we're the old days. We're going to talk about that movie today. What, what else did I consume this week? Uh, well, the good news is, is that Strictly Come Dancing has restarted huh. and the Great British Bake Off has also restarted. So that is now, they get later and later each year and, uh, that is now our, uh, autumn and winter TV content. That's all we need. And it's uh, it's it's that's my lover's blind. Like it's fantastic, and it's so it's very very different from the American version, which is called uh, Dancing with the Stars. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's fascinating to see the format differences between the UK and the Americans. And the American one isn't very good. The UK one's fantastic, so we're enjoying that. Uh, Great British, British Bake Off. Unfortunately, I think it, it might be another season two where they might have collected the least dynamic and interesting set of people they could possibly found. So that's the problem with reality TV is that you need to kind of predict who the quirky people are going to be. You need to have a mix and I'm not sure they've got that mix right this year. So we'll see about that. Oh yeah. And I mean, also, yeah. Season, season two, that was just a whole controversy with the, the stuff, the stuff that it? happened. I have no idea. Boring. I've never, I've never it's watched like the season the three of big brother. Um, oh yeah in, of course in england yeah. where uh... the guy the guy who won called craig literally just lay on the couch and slept the whole time and because he was in that middle ground uh uh he sort of he he didn't get voted out because he wasn't being a dick he didn't garner attention for doing anything he won because he was just the, the mid-range white dude in the whole thing um, I mean, the only the only reality tv show that my wife and I re- routinely watch that we go out of our way to watch is Top Chef. So, and that, and that is, and that is a, you know, obviously f- food is subjective, but it is, it is amazing to watch amazing chefs do their thing. And, who's, uh, who's your favorite pro chef? Mine is Brooke. That's the end of that discussion that she is the best. Brooke uh, Williamson is yeah. a genius, genius level chef. And, we who, we definitely your... we love Brooke. We've seen her because she was on Top Chef twice. Mm-hmm. She was uh, on a season and then she was on an All Star season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's great. Jet, um, Jet is great as well. Yep, yep. Uh, I'm a big fan personally of Bobby Flay. Uh, huh. And uh, I think we've talked about this before, but I will go to bat for um, Guy Fieri as the guy who is the literal best at describing the food that he's eating yes um, i don't disagree with I, you because i don't i don't think he's the best chef but i think in terms of being a chef on tv and the job that he has mm-hmm. which is like tasting mm-hmm. the food and conveying that food to the audience mm-hmm. he is by far the best at it as a presenter that's really highlighted i don't know if you've started watching bobby's triple threat which is him and one of the uh the brothers and brooke and uh, the 
I forget the, the third lady's name. And Bobby Flay's like presenting it solo. And I don't actually think that Bobby Flay is a very good lead presenter. I think he's a little bit, uh, he's a bit understated. He's a bit boring. And he's I a, love He's an Bobby amazing Flay. competitor, but he's not the yeah. best presenter. Right? Exactly. Beat Bobby yeah. Flay is fantastic because there's more TV trained mates come on and uh, rip the shit out of him. But in uh, Triple Threat, he's quite boring yeah. as a lead. And Guy Fieri is not boring at all. That's true. But it's more than not being boring. Like he's first off, he's he's way more of like a born presenter than anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also just that, like, when it comes to taking a bite of food and then conveying what that bite of food tastes and feels like, mm-hmm. there's there's no one else who can do it like he can. Mm-hmm. He can be he can like distill the flavors and textures down into a thing where I'm like, I would like to eat that. Whereas most people go like, Oh, this is so good. How mm-hmm. did you like? Oh my god. It's so I'm just dying here. It's so good. Whereas Bobby Flay's like the interplay of these three things is what's making this. Like I can't believe. Like he's so much better at breaking down flavor profiles than everyone else. Um, That's right. And I think it's an under it's an underrated skill as a food presenter. Anyway. Well, he does have his own town. So he does. He does. Um. Yeah, I don't know. But, I don't uh, know what else we've been watching, really. Uh, we have such little time. We try not to watch hours of TV with the kids, obviously. Uh, so we don't tend to watch movies until the weekend. And then we did watch a movie Friday. Oh, we watched... <laughs> the only movie we could agree to watch is uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs 2, hmm. which uh, is uh, a perfect movie. It is one of the best comedies I've ever seen. And the animation is incredible. The writing is incredible. The, the the timing of the delivery is incredible. If you've never seen the Cloudy with a Chance of Meatball movies, this is your sign to to change that. The first one's really really good. The second is incredible and a great example of a um, a sequel that iterates. It doesn't just repeat. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Really good. Yeah, Lord and Miller, man. Lord oh, and Miller. They are. They, are know, they know what they're doing. I really wish. There's a parallel universe somewhere where their solo movie got made, and I just want to see, like, their Star Wars. I'd be mm-hmm. really interested to see their version of Star Wars, especially as, um, by all accounts, all the story beats we got in the Ron Howard version are completely like backwards. Like the the big train heist was meant to be the big finale, and they yep. play it as a as a beginning piece. So I would love to. I would love to see the pre-version of that. We never will, but I would love to see it. Even just to read the script would be super interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Uh, good. So, what do we? Uh, what What should we talk about this week then? <laughs> what are we talking about? Uh we should probably talk about some movies. You know, one thing I started doing. I don't know if you you don't really letterbox like I do, but did you hear? First off, did you hear Letterbox got acquired? Uh, by who? I did yeah, they uh, they got acquired by a by a kind of I guess like like a venture capital firm. They but oh, the, the, found, the founders got well. the founders got bought out to the tune of fifty million dollars, which I'm very happy for them. But also, wow. I'm a little worried because I love Letterboxd, and I'm worried that the based on the portfolio of other things that have been highly monetized, this group has bought. I'm a little worried about it. And oh, well, uh, that, that's shit because I do like Letterboxd when I remember. It's actually been invaluable in China at the end of the year where we do our roundups. I don't remember anything, and it stopped me having to go through Wikipedia pages and list all the movies that I've seen. Yeah. Well, my most interesting 
um, list thing that I've been doing. I've I've been keeping a list every month. Started in the summer. I kind of don't know why I hadn't been doing it all along, but I started keeping lists of everything that I saw for the... I have two running lists for the year. One of like the stuff from this year that I saw and then stuff this year that I saw for the first time that wasn't from this year. If that makes sense. And then I just also started keeping monthly lists of like, here are the things I saw for the first time this month. Mm -hmm. uh, No matter when they were from. And uh, it turns out that um, that's been a really interesting experiment uh, in like seeing what uh, um as my tastes change and evolve, even over the last couple of months. Yeah, I was going to say that it's going to be a really, especially for someone in your line of work, and see the trend of the data, like almost analyzing your creative leanings, like what you tend to go towards. Although you are pretty good at watching anything that that is available to you, but it must be there must be some very clear trends as the kind of thing you watch when you want to relax or when you have certain like a spare time what's your go-to movies like it's also it's also just interesting to see like how many um new things i can squeeze in in a month Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like in july i only watched 15 things that were new to me uh and then in august i watched like 25 or some shit and wow september's just ended and i watched i think like 18 or 19 so i mean august was obviously bolstered by the fact that um uh, Fantasia was on, so I watched a bunch of festival films. But mm-hmm. and October will certainly be bolstered by Viff because uh, there'll be a bunch of stuff that I watch. But uh, this is yeah. meant to be you taking it easier than you used to. I mean, these are still incredible numbers. I mean, this is just the new stuff. My wife and I watch like a movie every night, basically, right? So, mm-hmm. um, but like, I definitely like. So the most interesting thing to me is that I watched most of the. Vincent Price, Roger Corman directed Edgar Allan Poe movies from the 60s in September. So That's actually, cool. if you look at my letterbox stats right now, Vincent Price is like my second most watched actor. <laughs> <laughs> um, and That's he's a super, amazing. he's a super interesting performer. Uh, I gotta say, he's it's weird because if you only know him from like The Simpsons and Tim Burton movies, he's still exactly the actor you think he is, which I think is really interesting a real exercise in like uh he's old school in that he doesn't become the character if that makes sense you know how mm-hmm. like yeah, there's a real starting in the 70s there's a real trend of actors who like transmorph transmogrify themselves into a character like change their mm-hmm. entire mode of being and vincent price is not from that school no. <laughs> he's just not no. um but he's got a voice and a mustache like no one else in the business so it works I find um, fascinating because method acting from the 70s really overtook uh, quote-unquote serious performances, and it's such Mm -hmm. a major part of the awards cycle as well. You always put it, well, it's not the best acting, it's the most acting that gets the awards, and that's so connected with uh, dedicating your body and your life to a role. And then you've got someone like um, Brian Cox, and he gave an interview after the end of Succession, about how he utterly rejects method acting. He he rolls up and he he projects this character and doesn't become it. And he just like is just like bullshit. It's just rubbish. All these people running around like running like Dustin Hoffman did before Marathon Man, uh, running a mile before each shot 
in order to look tired. It's like, no, just act it. You just think about the character and think about what they would do, and you just act it, and then you leave it behind. And I, and and it's so refreshing to hear someone and and his performances in Succession have been lauded like across the board. I've never seen it, but the feedback I'm, you have, um, he's oh, a brilliant. He's a brilliant actor who treats uh, acting roles as really flexible masks that you put on and you take them off, and you you go home. And I lo- I kind of love that. I've been full circle with my own acting as well. That's definitely kind of my approach to it now as well. Yeah, I think my problem with method acting, if I ha- like, I don't not to disrespect method acting, but like <clears throat> my uh, my sort of problem with it is that because it overtook everything so wholly in the seventies and since then as well, um, it gets pretty regarded as our like only legitimate kind of acting. You know, um, so Absolutely. like when I watch like and I see this with people, it's a it's actually a, a big telling, like not like a red flag, like we were talking about in the bonus episode. Um, but uh, I find it interesting when people don't like classic films based on the acting styles, which are much more like stagey and big yeah. and like playing for the back rows and not necessarily like transformative. Mm-hmm. Um because as, and like, because as long as the scene is emotionally true, I don't think you necessarily need to be that transformative. It's yeah. just not a thing. So, and the problem is, is that the public conception of method acting now has been really influenced by the these fucking tools like Jared Leto, who who interpret it as being a dick to everyone on stage, well, on on screen, on set, and yeah. uh, there's there's that's not that's so far away from what method acting is and what it has ever been. It just really winds me up when it's described as like he got so into the part that he sent people use condoms and rats and like that's not method acting at all. That's just being a dick. That's being a pretentious dick. And yeah, it, was, um, it winds me up. There's parts of that that I sort of get. Like I know that Hugh Laurie maintained his American accent a hundred percent of the time on set on house, but that just makes mm-hmm. sense because it's hard yeah. to switch between accents. Oh right? my, like, yeah. <laughs> like, that's an entirely different thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So there's definitely. Yeah, I don't. I don't get the whole like I don't break character, and it's a whole thing. So Daniel Day Lewis was famous for this as well, to the point where he'd be really rude to people on set because he's in character. Because he's in character, it's sacrosanct. You can't disturb Daniel. He if he if he's rude to you and orders you around, it's because that's what the character's thinking. It's like no, fuck, like no, this is not a healthy way to engage with acting it's meant to be pretending mm-hmm. <laughs> it's meant to be make-believe it is make-believe and i think it's far healthier to treat it as a make-believe thing than to let it overtake your life yeah that's true anywho well okay. we should probably move on to the main show yeah um <clears throat> but yeah if uh if you're interested in, in my stats you can check me out on letterboxd uh because mm-hmm. uh and it'll be it's in the show notes somewhere um mm-hmm. Because it's, in, it's interesting. Um, before we move on, just a few moments of housekeeping first. Uh, so we're going to talk about two movies today. Um, the WGA strike has thankfully ended with the writers getting most, if not all, of what they wanted. Um, but oh, as yeah. of right now, as of this recording, SAG-AFTRA is still on strike. And uh, it's important, to, again, to note that none of the stuff we talk about would be even exists without the labor and love of the writers performers who make them and uh 
these as of this recording, SAG after is meant to go back to the table with the AMPTP on uh, Monday the second. So here's hoping they also get everything they want. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, if you like the show, uh, we do have a Patreon. It's Patreon.com/slash/mcsimpson. That'll be in the show notes, and you can subscribe for as little as two dollars Canadian a month, which is like fifty cents American uh, and like thirty-five euros or thirty-five. Whatever the sense version of euros is, I don't actually know. Are they just called sense? Euro sense? You're from not Europe, so you should be able to know this, right? Uh, Euro beans. Oh. Beans. Wonderful. Yeah, we're going back to a collection of magical beans. That's the, the only <coughs> true economy in Europe. Oh, I th- no, I'm talking about Europe, not England. Well, I mean, we're in it when we want to be and not when it counts. That's the important thing. We do exactly <laughs> what we want at all times and expect everyone to keep keep up. Yeah, it does feel like that's over, though. Uh, <laughs> well, England. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, England does feel over. That's yeah, a right. little bit. A little bit. <laughs> um, anyway, the point is that, that two bucks Canadian a month is not that much. And uh, it helps us keep the lights on around here. Uh, if you, at the end of the show, if you go to this episode's homepage, there will also be Just Watch powered links to um, go to where, that'll take you to where you can stream the films. And if you use those links, they also help us keep the lights on. So please go do that. Yeah. Um, let's move on. We're going to talk about two movies, and I think we're going to start with the new release from Apple TV, Apple TV Plus, which is the mm-hmm. John Carney directed Eve Hewson starring um, Flora and Son. And uh, Flora and Son is the story of a single mom living in Dublin uh, named Flora. She has a son. Um, <laughs> starts out, she is a bit of an angry. Not a bit. She's an angry party girl. Her son is 12. She sort of resents her life. She's very disconnected from him. Um, and the film is about her basically learning to connect with her son through music. It's a John Carney movie. I don't know if you've seen John Carney movies, but if you have seen like Sing Street or Begin Again, um, then you know that he makes movies that are about connecting to one another via music. And I don't really want to tell you much more than that because it is an adorable movie. And I'm just going to stop for a second because I meant to say this in the preamble. But So we're going to talk about two movies today. And I have a prediction I'd like to just get out there before we start talking. And that is that Simon and I are going to say pretty much exactly the same things about both of these movies. But I liked one and he didn't like the other. I liked one he didn't like and he liked one that I didn't really like. But we're gonna say exactly the same like thing. Oh my god! Yeah, this is news. This to be said, news. to be fair, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go so far as to say that I actively disliked the one that I didn't like as much. But I don't think it's great. So I think maybe a better way to say it is that like I liked one and he didn't, and he loved one, and I thought it was fine. But we're gonna say almost exactly the same things about both of them. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> So, so that's the end of the show. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Those are our opinions. Uh, Pretty much. So, uh, Florence Son is, if you've seen John Carney movies, you sort of know what to expect. It is, I don't know if it's necessarily like, it's a, it's a fairly basic plot. It's about a woman reconnecting with her son via music. Um, but he makes movies that are very emotionally true um, and can really get to 
the sort of emotional core of, of the things he's trying to illuminate. And I think Eve Hewson is really great in this. Um, you know, Nepple baby though she is, she's an excellent actress. Um, I think Joseph Gordon-Levitt is perfectly serviceable. He's totally fine. I think Jack Raynor is also perfectly good as the douchebag X. And then the song also has a, a movie also has a bunch of good songs in it. And one in particular that I'm, I'm upset to learn they're not putting forward for all the Oscars and awards, but um, I don't really know what else to say about this movie. It's a perfectly lovely watch for family night at home. It's on Apple TV plus. It's not should... a family night at home movie. Are you, yeah. are you insane? <laughs> what? You don't think it's it is? No, not at all. There's and like how how old is the family are we talking about here? Oh, uh, you're 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 thir- you're thirteen year old kids. Kids could watch Florence. No, they couldn't. Yeah, they um, definitely could. Okay, so ju- just for a reality check, my kids don't watch movies with this much like sexual innuendo and very overt language in it. Like this is not a movie I would show to my kids ever. Yeah, this is definitely a movie I would have seen when I was like twelve or thirteen. Oh my god! Wow. Yeah. Um, okay. Like, I don't think you should show this to, like, infants, to be clear, but, like... This is not, this is, I disagree, this is a family night movie on any level. (laughs) No, it's a perfectly serviceable movie, you just, you throw on any night of the week. It's totally, it's, it's lovely. I don't think it's as good as Sing Street, um, but it's John Carney, man, he makes good emotional films, and I like them. And I'm guessing that, uh... It was so emotionally true that you didn't like it. <laughs> uh, well, because I'm dead inside. Yeah. The, yeah. Um, I feel the same about this movie as I do about the other John Carney movie that I've seen. And that um, it's incredibly... I didn't like it as much as you. I, it's, I just found it incredibly... It's, it's, every, every bit of drama is so simplified. And... Um, <sighs> So there's some bits I liked, some performances I liked. Um, Jack Rayner's great, um, but the all the the music just really it, it it simplifies music to the point where I actually found it really cheesy. Actually, I found it really difficult to watch because first of all i don't need bono's daughter telling me how the working class can escape misery by writing the immaculately produced like songs using garage band like i i i I just really disliked how it how its solution was so simplified and that it didn't feel authentic to me and and joe Joe, there's one take so joseph gordon levitt plays this like rundown guitar teacher who's had his own drama and he's, he's got to the same point so of course he has parallels with Flora and everything but he's such an asshole like 30 minutes into this movie I texted you saying I want, I'm 30 minutes into Flora and Son and I want to throw Joseph Gordon-Levitt out the fucking window <laughs> and, and at that point I was like okay he's there's one reductionist take when she's asking about what kind of music he likes and he she talks about a song she likes and he takes it apart and it's such a music bro reductionist take, and it's such the kind of attitude towards music that is dangerously, stupidly wrong. I thought, okay, so what he's doing is he's painting Joseph Gordon-Levitt as being like this bitter musician, and 
and one of the lessons for his arc is going to be about you can find beauty in musical simplicity and lyrical simplicity if it connects with you. His whole thing is you got to the song's got to change you, and it turns out his songs are shit anyway. And she rewrites them and they're slightly better. So, but that that point, it it never comes back again. So he never, there's never a moment where he's like, oh yeah, I see now how my massively reductionist take made me look like an asshole and was really bad take. And it's just left in the movie without being addressed. In fact, he, they all get as, as happy an ending as they could get. And I'm just like, this is, this, I disagree with so much about what this movie is saying about music and how, how music creation uh, is actually done and how music performance is done and how it can be used and uh and i i didn't like the songs i didn't think the songs were good um i thought um the drama was incredibly simplistic and uh there wasn't wasn't much in this movie that i liked actually it's interesting because again like i don't i don't disagree that the plotting is simplistic um but i liked it because it really and i'm gonna say the exact opposite about the next movie too is that like in the the way those plot points are executed is very again emotionally true and i i did find it quite authentic i don't think there's a problem with it being simplistic as long as it hits the emotionality correctly and i think that it did i don't think you're wrong that joseph gordon levitt's character is a bit of an asshole i do think he softens up as the movie goes and i do wonder how much this obviously having been made during covid (laughs) might have impacted how they made it and why they made some character choices because you're right he doesn't ever really get like his arc doesn't really resolve satisfactorily Mm -hmm. but it's also sort of the point of the movie that like, there's a moment where she has to sort of, she gets to choose between like pursuing this relationship or sticking her ground and, and being there for her son. And she chooses the latter, which to be clear is a hundred percent the right choice, mm-hmm. but it does make kind of the relationship aspect and his arc kind of unresolved and still open for, interpretation down the road like maybe something happens after the movie's over but it does leave that aspect of it perhaps a little bit unsatisfactory um but i don't necessarily mind because it's not really his movie it's hers Mm -hmm. right like um and the relationship between her and the son who's played by a kid called um i'm gonna i'm gonna mispronounce this because it's irish but it's i think it's orin kinlan orin Orin, Orin. Who knows? I don't know like, what the accent means. In the no. Game. Um, uh, but I think though, I think they're great, and I think they have a really interesting dynamic with Jack Rayner, who again plays the like ex and father, ex of her and father of the kid. And I think that like the kid is really into like electronic music and hip hop, and his hip hop is terrible. But also that's kind of the point because he's like eleven; it doesn't, it doesn't no. make a difference. Um. And just the fact that they're able to like finally truly connect through the music is the point of the movie for me. And seeing there's a couple of scenes that are like they're a bit montagey, but it does montage through them like seeing each other for the first time as people through this music. And they're just lovely. They're just wonderful. And the moment in which she really does have to make the choice between like, am I going to do the thing 
or am I going to stay with my son? I thought is very wonderfully performed and like really leaves you hanging. There's a moment where you're like, what, what choice is she going to make? Is she going to make, maybe she's going to go do the wrong thing. And then when she shows up, it, it felt really great to see that. Um, and like Eve Houston is a, is a good actress. Like she's Bono's daughter, but she's a good actress. And I, uh, I very much enjoyed it. Okay. I, I don't know. Uh, I, there's she her performance actually was good. I thought Jack Ryan was great. I thought the kid was fine, mm-hmm. but it just uh, it didn't didn't it felt inauthentic for me in so many ways. There's a couple of bits. So there's a um a, a human drama scene, if you like, when he's um the consequences catch up with him, and she's desperately trying to mitigate the damage. Uh, that that is being laid down on him, and um, I think that's very very sweet. I like, I like that. But the, um, I just really from from a movie that is all about the incredible connection you can make with music, which is such an important part of my life as well. All the 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 musical elements of this movie just didn't work for me at all, and were like glossed over and massively like simplistic and and uh and and also the songs i think i I think you liking the songs is such a fundamental part of why you like this movie more than i did because i didn't like this i didn't think the songs were the the songs that they were describing as good songs were not these songs if that makes sense for me but then that's purely subjective uh so yeah didn't really land for me My bigger problem with the songs is that I understand that um, there's a big number that plays at the end. That's a perfectly serviceable pop song, I guess. Um, but there's a much better song in the middle, and it's the one at the end that they're giving all the awards push to. <laughs> like, really? There's a, there's a really there's a, what I think the best song in the movie is not the one they're pushing as as an awards contender. Interesting. And I, I find that, that really upsetting. Weird. Because and it's even the song in the trailer as well, which doesn't make any sense. Because um, it is very clearly the best song in the movie. Um, is that the one she she rewrites? Yeah, it's called "Meet in the Middle." Yeah, that, you know, they that's they, sing, the they sing it together on a rooftop. It's uh, yeah. although via Skype. I will say they the way that they play the <laughs> Skype relationship, where like the camera will sort of, you know, he'll be on a screen, and then the camera will circle around and he'll be in the room. I thought that was actually really not. Clever is maybe the wrong word, but I thought it was really effectively executed um, as a way to like highlight that they're still actually connecting in real life, yeah. even though it's I just remote. Want, I just want to know which Windows laptop she was using to get a six-hour battery life on a single Skype call on a rooftop. That was pretty impressive. I know. The beginning of that scene has her running an extension cord. <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. So how many stars um, are you going to give it? Because I'm going to give it four. Because I really like Oh, this is a two-star movie for me. Yeah. So phase one of my prediction. Wow. (laughs) Wow. I did not see four stars coming at any point. It's like, again, like the thing, the thing about it, like you're not wrong. Like it's, it is, it's simplistic. Um, It's, it's, you know, basic is maybe a, a pejorative word now that I don't think I like to use anymore, but like, yeah, it's fairly simplistically plotted and, it's very straightforward, and if you don't like the music, you, that's a big thing for sure. And um, but like those points are accurate for both of us. I just it really landed for me. So 
Mm-hmm. It's uh, he makes lovely movies, and I hope he keeps making lovely movies forever. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if you'd like his other movies actually, because like the style, the style of the music from this to Begin Again, especially, is fairly similar. Mm, I so, if, if, so like, if you just don't like his music, that would be a big thing against watching his movies. Yeah, maybe. Because he does, I believe he co-writes all the music with a guy mm-hmm. called, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, he was a pop star, Gary Clark. He write, co-writes all the songs with Gary Clark, who was a oh, pop. Hell. He's a pop performer in the '80s and '90s, I believe. He's Scott, he's a Scottish guy. Huh. Anyway, all right. So that's uh, mm-hmm. that is Flora and Son, which wow. is out now on. It's uh, apparently it's in limited a limited theatrical engagement, so you may have it in your city um but if you don't it's also out on apple tv plus now um and let's move on so we're gonna now we're gonna move on to the movie we had opposite reactions to (laughs) um so simon why don't you take us through the basic plot line of uh gareth gareth edwards the creator right well in a world where AI has been designed to assist humanity, and it's sort of uh, there's there's a sort of a credits montage of that introduces like overlapping news stories, and it starts where where AI kind of is now, and then it goes to this sci-fi just tomorrow version of AI where there's robot policemen helping us, and there's robots uh, like traffic cops helping us, and and AI is our friend until. It's very much not, and within this is not a spoiler, but within the first minute, it cuts to a, a, a new story is interrupted by a massive nuke that goes off in Los Angeles, and from that point, humanity uh, in the West bans AI, but in New Asia, so this imagined sort of Asian conglomerate still, um, still makes and supports AI and develops it and. Um, they very clearly say that they're not against, uh, they're not at war against the people of New Asia. They're at war against AI and the people that make AI. And the creator is this mythical um, like father figure of AI who is still developing AI. And so they figure out that he's basically the rebel leader. If they can take out the head of AI, then that will be a way of winning that war. And to do to this, they built this multi-trillion-dollar uh, Death Star. Sorry, um, flying bad place with a with uh, laser-guided bombs that can nuke things from orbit, and um, they basically zip this thing around the globe in no time at all, and it and it takes out uh, problematic targets. It's um, if you've ever uh, read anything about America's approach to Vietnam, it's pretty much space Vietnam. And uh, in literal Vietnam, um, and uh, one of the soldiers within this American unit, through circumstances, um, uh, finds himself in a sticky situation, and then uh, he get, he's involved with someone who he believes is dead, and then he gets just when he thinks he's out, he gets dragged back in by the Western forces because they found evidence that the person he thought was dead is actually alive. And they're about to go, and they know where Nemata is, and they're going to nuke it all. And if he wants, he can come and try and like save this one person. But they're going to nuke like the father of AI. So uh, the movie is basically John David Washington's character going with this uh, uh, pristine uh, um, 
innocent American army force and then making decisions uh, about uh, the weapon they've gone to destroy, what that could mean, the repercussions for that, and also what his place is, what his involvement is with this weapon and uh, his loyalties uh, evolve and change as he learns about um, what the AI has become in their culture. And um, and it leads to a conclusion, and then the movie ends. And I don't want to say much more than that. But, but, and here's a big but. This is by the director. <laughs> this, is, this is by the director of Gareth Edwards. Uh, sorry, Gareth Edwards, who directed Rogue One, or more importantly, directed eighty percent of Rogue One before Tony Gilroy had to come in and make an ending that was interesting. Because, uh, by all accounts, and it was done very amicably, his Rogue One didn't uh it was more episodic and didn't really have a big conclusion kind of meandering a little bit over long didn't have a peak at the end and uh and Tony, <laughs> Tony Gilroy came in and fixed road one with the, the the however you feel about the Darth Vader scene it added a climax to that movie the Death Star added a climax to that movie um which wasn't there before and the fascinating thing about the creator is Gareth Edwards going, well, this is what I would have done. <laughs> and so as a result, it is a spectacularly beautiful, well-shot, incredible sci-fi movie that is meandering and overlong and kind of episodic. And I think it's going to make no money. And in 20 years, I think this is our era's Blade Runner. I think this is a... As our uh, as as our um, film associate Tom put it, this is a, a, a watershed moment of modern sci-fi in in purely, if nothing else, in terms of the design, the CG is outstanding. Uh, he he has a similar approach to Neil Blomkamp, where he um, he desaturates a lot of the picture. So the um, CG elements don't stand out, and also they're robot elements. So there's, there's much less uncanny valley. Um, there are some truly gut wrenching moments, um, and uh, I think it's an epic piece of sci-fi that isn't perfect, but is one of the most interesting pieces of sci-fi I've seen in years. And I think nobody can shoot expanse sci-fi expanse like Gareth Edwards. Like he's he captures scale, like very few other people can. And I, I it's it's not perfect, but I enjoyed the hell out of it, and it, it uh, had some lovely moments, and was an exceptional piece of sci-fi. The end. <laughs> I feel like you're just talking in a monotone, so like I ran out of time <laughs> because everything you said is basically true, except for the fact that it's not great. <laughs> like. Uh, I was having this conversation, so I met up with a bunch of our like film friends uh, yesterday, and we were some of us were talking about the creator, and one of our mutuals who was there was like, "Oh, I haven't seen it yet," and I was like, "Oh, have you seen Star Wars?" And they were like, "Yes," and I was like, "Congratulations, you have seen <laughs> the creator." Come on, that's not fair. It's entirely fair because <laughs> it's the same fucking story. Star Wars has a big epic flying thing at the end that threatens to laser someone, and oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i mean i said to you when we finished watching this because we did watch it in person and i will 100 percent concede that it is a masterpiece of world building um it's exceptional at creating 
uh, a world that is both plausible and lived in, even though it's only set about 40 years ahead of where we are today. Um, everything about the way the tech looks and functions and feels is amazing. And this is going to be, again, the same thing that we talked about in the last film. It is overly simplistic. And I did say when we finished watching it that, like, I feel like it's the kind of movie like Star Wars that very openly wears its influences on its sleeve. And maybe the problem is that, unlike Star Wars, we're old enough that we see all the references, right? Uh, whereas with Star Wars, you know, we were kids and we didn't hadn't seen all the like samurai films and westerns that eventually went to inspire that movie. Upon further reflection, I would go further and say that the problem isn't that we see all of the references; is that there's only one. <laughs> there's really only one. It's just his start. It's just his Star Wars. I mean, there's probably a few little visual flourishes that are from something else, but he literally is just like this is his Star Wars. This is the Star Wars he wanted to make, and that's fine. It's not bad. It's definitely worth seeing as a piece of semi-original um, science fiction filmmaking. It's definitely worth seeing to see the kind of effects and world building that can happen on a budget of $80 million instead Whoa. of 300 goddamn million dollars. Like this incredible. movie like does look incredible. It looks better than any superhero movie I've seen. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't even think of one that I would say definitely looks better, right? Like it's, it's incredible how well the effects are designed um just the the designs of the of the tech and everything but then how well it's put together and how well the cg is integrated and how realistic and again lived in i think is an important one it looks very very lived in and feels very authentic um but it's also just i guess like super basic but doesn't hit the emotional beats that it needs to so it doesn't really land uh, in any way than the most basic like oh that was nice like oh I get what he's intending there not oh I feel that you know what I'm trying to say like um, you know the resolution at the end is a little like we talked we've talked about films being basic but there's a resolution for a character at the end that is so on the nose as to be a little bit infuriating um, and I don't know like I'm not going to say it's a bad movie because it's not but it's I, I just fundamentally disagree at this point that it is um you know i've seen several people call it a masterpiece and i i kind of have to like shake my head when i see it and like <laughs> i love i love that for them it's great <laughs> but I, uh i do i do not agree i i mean i think time is gonna be uh is really gonna help this film because i don't I, I think it's meandering and oblong in the same way that blade runner is like i i don't think blade runner is a perfect movie i actually think 2049 is a better film um but i think in terms of what it did for the sto sci-fi storytelling at that time i think this is that movie as well if not the the actual the narrative itself but the the visual design the work like well i can't think of the last time i saw such a sumptuous detailed big swing sci-fi that felt like something i wanted to watch i haven't managed to watch the second avatar movie yet because i just don't feel the same way when i watch when i'm watching the way of water it doesn't feel that sort of deep right it doesn't feel that complex it doesn't ring as this one did and i will say that um we're 
even if you you end up not liking this film, you're going to regret not seeing this in the cinema. If you think, oh, I'll just I mean, watch it when it's at home, this is this is the as big a screen as you can see, uh, like even IMAX if you can, just go and experience this, and don't be that person in three or four years, like I am with Tenant, wishing that you'd gone out and seen it on the biggest screen possible. Uh, it's because it's incredible to watch. I mean, yeah, I will not not dispute that it is visually one of the most stunning things I've seen in ages. It's just everything else about it that I think is a little too basic. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I say, like I don't have a problem with being basic. I liked Flora and Son. Um, I just needed, if it's going to be basic, it needs to like hit the emotional beats in a way that is affecting. And it did not land for me in that way at all. Yeah, I've I've seen the basic thing from a few reviews, and I I don't get it. I don't think this is a basic film. I think it's got says some interesting things about inter- human robot integration, and of course the the Americans and the big bad empire. Of course they are, and uh, I I don't I don't agree that it's so basic that it actually affects the the my enjoyment of the film. Well, like that's it, great. I, I love that for you. like isn't isn't i i love that for you isn't that gay like that's gay code for fuck off isn't it i I mean it might be i can either confirm or disconfirm uh um i there's some moments in this that hit hit my parent button for sure like towards the end there's the kid like there's a kid in this who's a major part and the kid is fantastic it's his first acting role and he's fantastic in this and uh some very funny moments and um some very uh like emotional gut-wrenching moments and i liked the resolution i liked it i liked how it of course it was going to end that way and uh and i wasn't disappointed by it i I mean in terms of like humans interacting with ai it doesn't tread much ground that we haven't seen before in better films in terms of like america as the big bad like that again is just like have you seen star wars because this is just star wars (laughs) it's just um, a lot of star wars in this film (laughs) like there's a lot of star wars in this film and especially like famously when he made rogue one um there's a big battle on the planet scarif that's like a Mm -hmm. semi-tropical place and Mm -hmm. Famously, that entire sequence was completely reworked. And guess what? There's a big battle with huge <laughs> mechanized tanks in a semi-tropical location in this movie. And it looks amazing. And it does look and amazing. It's a good scene. It's a good scene. It's perfectly fine. Yeah. I oh, don't really care about any of the characters who were involved in the actual battle. Um, and I would say that, like, in terms of the way... I'm, I would fully, just to say right now, I'm fully not qualified to engage with this fact. But I do find that... The bad, that's like where the AI is hiding. All of Asia is flattened into one culture, like one big, like it's just mm-hmm. Asia. Mm-hmm. That seems super problematic to me. Like I don't, I I can't quite like it's ostensibly. If you look at the map, there's one scene where there's a map, and they're in Vietnam, which again, Star Wars. Um, but like it's never referred to anything other than just it's Asia and there's characters who are Indian and there's characters who are Japanese and Chinese and Vietnamese. And they're all just smushed into this one culture. And I find it super problematic. Um, 
And again, like, I don't think that's necessarily like you can engage with stuff and love it and, and acknowledge that it's problematic. I don't have a problem with, with that, but like, I do feel the need to acknowledge if that feels really problematic to me. Like it feels really overly simplified in a way as to be problematic. Mm. And I, I don't, again, as a white dude from Canada, I don't feel fully qualified to fully engage with it. I feel like I need to talk to some people, but I, I just wonder how like people from Vietnam might react to this basically is what I'm trying to say. Um, but anyway, it's fine. It's totally fine. You should definitely see it on a huge ass screen. It's totally fine. There's nothing. It's just not the masterpiece that I think we were all hoping for, is my opinion. You know, like. So, how many stars are you landing with the creator? Are we going to have mirror image here? No, because I will say I will say this is just just good enough to be a three for me. Like uh, I didn't, I didn't dislike I it. <laughs> I just, uh, I just don't. I, the more I think about it, the the more my opinion diminishes. Put it that way. Okay, that's interesting because the more I think about it, the more it slightly goes up. So I, I think we're we're not really saying anything different apart from uh, the 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 story beats. I think work a bit better for me. I mean, I, the what's interesting about this film is that he. Um, they started costing up ILM doing all the vir- virtual sets. And so he did a test where they went to Vietnam and Cambodia and he shot like a teaser with uh, a film camera and then used CG just to enhance bits of it and um, got got the green light based on that. And so basically it cost 80 million instead of 300 because they used real life locations and then just overlaid CG on top of it. Mm-hmm. And I, I, really really hope that that uh becomes much more of the norm that 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 is a a sign that people pick up on because it just looks so much better than any marvel virtual sets or the the star wars volume capital v sets just it's so much more uh incremental detail and then the cg that sits on top of it so beautifully it's staggering it's a masterpiece of visual design and and visual storytelling i think we can agree on that and then the rest of the rest of that is whether you like the story that's being told within that and i think i did more than you so i mean i know you did more than i did yeah (laughs) but i mean i rogue one is probably it's it's not my most watched star wars because the original has had a couple of decades ahead head start but it's the one i watch all the time now all the time and mm-hmm. it's like my comfort movie. I would have babies with that film. And I know, I know, like Tony Gore is also a genius and came in and does not care about the Star Wars legacy, which is why Andor is so good and made like a good end to this movie instead of Gareth Edwards probably being a bit more meandering and, and reverential, maybe. But who knows? Because we're never going to see that cut. But. Um, everything up to that point i love in rogue one i love his way of direction i love his visual design i mean again i don't i don't i don't dislike any of his movies um i don't think that rogue one i know that like there's a number of people i know who rogue one really connects for and i think Mm -hmm. i also think it's fine but Mm -hmm. i also know that i i think that 2014 godzilla is one that i love that you mm-hmm. think is just fine at best so like yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. but the thing we can probably agree on with all of those films is that 
visually and directorially, they mm-hmm. are great. Yeah. Right? Like all I of them are, are great. I can't um, wait to see what he does next. And like, even like, talk about his direction style being kind of like reverential, like just, yeah. Remember that next time you're watching Godzilla and like when he like attacks Hawaii, just like, it's true. You don't, I, I would still probably agree. You don't see enough of Godzilla until the end of that movie, but mm-hmm. the way it shoots the people around him is, uh, I think mm-hmm. pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, he's one of the big sort of sci-fi directors that I'm genuinely excited about because they're delivering something new that feels so detached from a lot of the other superhero sci-fi that we're getting out of the machine. Yeah. Although I would say, like, there is a thing I do. <laughs> I will say, the film does have one major sort of visual issue for me, and that's that it doesn't seem to know where it is at any given point. Oh, <laughs> I don't care about um, that. Because there's you like there's a th- there's a thing that gets shot down over LA and crash lands in <laughs> Vietnam, which just to be for the record is like thousands of miles away. It's a very slow descent. Yeah, it's it's not though. (laughs) It's just like it's shot down and crashes in a totally different continent, thousands of miles Uh, away. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. yeah, Anyway, there's Um, definitely definitely a thing. It's a four star movie for me. It's not a five, but um, it's a very good four star movie. And um, I do recognize that some that the the pacing and the plotting is is a bit up and down. But um, I I really enjoyed it. Go see it, please go see it on a big screen. This is a big big screen movie. I mean, and again, if nothing else, like I hope that Hollywood looks at it and goes, "Oh, we can make something that looks this good for this mm. for so much less money." God, can you imagine? I hope so. And I I don't. Um, I again, as always, I have very little hope that they're going to take away the right lessons from this film, but. <laughs> yes. uh, they uh they will definitely they'll def they'll look at it and see something. I just hope they see the things that we that we mm-hmm. see in that regard. Well, I mean, I hope it makes money because the their only way they're going to learn anything from it is if they make the money. If they make like what 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 do they have to make for it to be a success now? It's like three times the budget or something stupid like that. Historically, so, it's always been double because you have to like because you have to remember that like if something costs them one hundred and fifty million dollars to make, bare minimum. Like before you even factor in advertising, um, the the cinema takes half. So right. if a, if a film grosses a hundred million dollars, then the then the cinema chains have taken fifty of it. Wow. So so I want this film to be a really like good financial success, so they can actually the the studios will see it and think, what can we learn from it? Instead of oh well that failed, so we won't do that again if it doesn't mm-hmm. learn anything. But we'll see. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there you go. Uh, We're going to wrap up there because we're running out of time. Uh, Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for listening. Um, And like I say, both these movies are out. You can go see them. Go to a cinema. Go to Apple TV Plus, uh, and you'll have a lovely time. Um, (laughs) If uh, if you like what you've heard, again, we do have a Patreon. You can subscribe for as little as two bucks Canadian a month, and you can find that in the show notes or at Patreon.com/slash MC Simpson. Uh, there's too many social media networks in the world right now. So you can find each of us at our personal websites. Simon is uh, temporarypen.com and I am at uh, I'm stretched.ca where you can find all of uh, our most recent writing and podcast appearances and such. And um, 
We are here in Vancouver on the unceded and ancestral territory of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish peoples. And with that, thank you so much for listening and for joining us on this awesome Friday. Bye.